Welcome, everyone. Uh, so glad to be worshiping with you today. So glad to share this space with you. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Jordan. I'm on staff here at Hope Church NYC. And uh, yeah, just welcome to, this is our third week of Advent, if you're not aware. Uh, Merry Christmas, uh, happy SantaCon, if you observe that. Uh, for, for those of you who don't know what SantaCon is, SantaCon is a annual bar crawl that happens mostly in the East Village, really. Um, it's a rowdy, rowdy affair. It's wild. Uh, I, I do not participate most years, but uh, I... I uh, I spent about seven years in the East Village, and I have a bit of a love-hate relationship with SantaCon because every year uh, outside my, I was on second and 13th, and every year without fail, the neighborhood would be just destroyed. Just, they would be completely trashed by Long Islanders. Um, and for granted, I am a Long Islander, so I have a bit of a kinship there. And so I'm kind of stuck between worlds, but I think, you know, when it comes down to it, SantaCon, I, I appreciate in some ways because it's about celebration and joy and togetherness, which is kind of what, you know, the Christmas season's about. It's what we kind of think about when we think of Christmas. All, what Christmas movie ends badly? Die Hard ends well, like, well, it's all good. Like, Christmas movies end well because that's what the season's about. Joy, laughter, fun, family. Uh, it's part of the reason I love this story, because uh, Christmas starts with divorce. Uh, that's the beginning of the Christmas story, this really dark, complex, complicated moment in the life and the family of the Son of God, right? The Son of God comes into this family that is about to no longer potentially be a family. Like, there's this brokenness that's about to happen, and there's this deep concern that we see so uh, I'm excited to dive into this text because it's this place of a season of joy and victory and all things good, yet the backdrop is complexity. This Christmas season is, is painted in shades of gray. It's part of the reason I'm so excited to dive into this text. So before I do that, let me, uh, let me pray for us as we enter this text and as we uh, hear from the Lord in his scriptures. Jesus, uh, a word from you is better than a thousand sermons. So I pray that uh, this text, you would shine through it, and that we would experience you as God with us, God who speaks to us, God who walks with us, God who talks to us. Um, Lord, we want to hear your voice today. We want to hear you in the scriptures. So would your voice be elevated? Would your word be elevated? And uh, would each and every single person in this room experience the gospel story in Matthew chapter 1? In your name we pray. Amen. So let's dive into how this story starts. This is the beginning of the story, right? It's kind of like an epic first statement. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. Uh, it kind of actually mimics, last week we talked about the genealogy of Jesus, the ancestry of Jesus. And Matthew 1, verse 1 started off with, this is the genealogy of Jesus. It's just a kind of epic moment. Uh, me and my brother, when we were really young, and uh, it was just a big deal back then, we really liked WWE. Uh, we watched a lot of professional wrestling. We loved, you know, Dwayne The Rock Johnson. We loved The Undertaker. John Cena was coming on the scene. And, like, we would practice suplexes on each other. It's the grace of God that I'm here today, to still alive somehow. But uh, 
every, like, in, if you're not familiar with the WWE, it's just like huge affair. And every time someone's name is said to announce their entrance, it's this huge, explosive, amazing thing. Like, you know, it's like, John Cena, dun, 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 dun. The music goes off, the crowd's going wild. Like, he has this, like, he has a million people in his entourage. I don't know how they fit all those people there. But it's this, it's this moment of an epic entrance. And when you read Matthew 1, verse 18, that's kind of what you expect. This is how the birth of the Messiah came about. This is how the Savior of the world, the person who's going to fix all things, who's going to heal our brokenness, who's going to save us from our sins. We expect this to be this grand, explosive entrance. But it starts off with this moment of deep uncertainty in the marriage of the parents of the Son of God. It's the exact opposite of John Cena's epic entrance. It's this moment of confusion and potential betrayal and fear and uncertainty. And that's what we're walking into. The, the birth of the Messiah does not come with a bang. It starts off with a whimper in a moment of fear and uncertainty. And it goes against all of our cultural assumptions about Christmas, about our family values, about all those things that we think that Christmas is about. Christmas in Matthew uh, chapter 1 is a complicated affair. And isn't that true for our families as well? Uh, I know I'm sure there's some of us that kind of Christmas and Thanksgiving are always a little bit of a tense activity like the feeling you get going back home sometimes or you're afraid of how conversations are going to go, of having to see that relative again, of, you know, all of the unearthed baggage. There's kind of a complexity to family. And that complexity is not unknown in this passage. I think that's deeply important to, to understand because something I love about the God that we see in the Bible is that it's not a picture-perfect God dealing with a picture-perfect world. Like, it's actually a complicated situation that God is willing to enter in. Uh, in the biblical narrative, one of the things that I love is uh, in Genesis chapter 2, when it talks about God creating the world, uh, it describes God making this garden. But the word that they use in Genesis 2 to talk about the garden, about God getting involved with creation, it's not that God snapped and created a garden. It actually says that God planted a garden, that he got his hands in the dirt. He got his hands in the dirt, and he tilled the field, and he sowed the seeds, and he was, like, involved. And what I love is that it's God is a God who's in the dirt, who's in the realities of our lives. So for you, in this Advent season, in this Christmas season, I'm sure there are places where you are experiencing your world painted with these shades of gray, where you're unsure what to do, where you feel like you don't have a right option that's the situation that Joseph found himself in. He was unsure about how his soon-to-be wife was pregnant. And it was this moment, I'm sure, where he felt a combination of betrayal, of confusion, of brokenness, just kind of being overwhelmed as this dream that he have, had for the future of his life was potentially being shattered. And it's a, he's in this really... He's in, a, he's in between a rock and a hard place. It's just like, there's not really a way out. There's not a good choice here. I'm sure there have been times in our lives where we've kind of been in a situation where we felt like there's no good choice. If you've been in a job that you just kind of, 
you hate and you can't, like, you just can't stand going into work every day, but what are you gonna do, quit? Like, lose your health insurance, lose all these things? Like, we're stuck in a rock and a hard place. There, it's just, both choices leave us with just more and more hurt, more and more pain, more and more suffering, and it's what Joseph was in. And, and I actually really appreciate and love the character of Joseph that we get in this passage, because it says this about him. He finds out that his soon-to-be wife is pregnant. He's not sure how she got pregnant. And I'm sure he's feeling all kinds of things, anger, sadness, betrayal, fear, all of these feelings. But Joseph is, is a deep man of character, I think, in this story, because it says this about him in verse 19. Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet, yet did, not expose her to, did not want to expose her to public disgrace. So he had in mind to divorce her quietly. What I love about Joseph is that even in this situation where he's, I'm sure, feeling fear, anger, betrayal, all these kinds of things, there's a sense for Joseph that being right is not more important than being merciful. And being in the right, being, you know, having, doing things correctly and as they should be is not more important than showing mercy and generosity to the people around us. And honestly, I am not like Joseph all the time. There are times in my life where I know I think I'm in the right. I think that I have all of the answers. Um, and it's hard to be merciful. It's hard to not to want to, 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 you know, to pay back pain for pain, to pay back hurt for hurt. But Joseph is this character that doesn't value being right more than being merciful. And, and this is actually kind of a deep thing. In this culture and time, Joseph, in this time of their engagement, would have most likely already received a dowry, would have already probably invested in their life together in some way. It's kind of like the point in your engagement where you've paid all your down payments for all your vendors. If, if you guys have done that, if you've been through an engagement process, like, it just, you know, you have to put all your down payments down, you have to pay for your vendors, you have to, you know, put a down payment on an apartment to, to start your life together, right? And this is kind of the situation Joseph's in. So, in some ways, if he had actually made his divorce public, if he had wanted to kind of put this out in the world, he would have been able to get back some of those financial losses. But in this case, Joseph was willing to show mercy. Even though he didn't actually know the true story, he still was willing to show mercy and to, and to, to, to not seek wrong for wrong, but to seek good. And I think it's something we can see, but Here's how the story continues. So, so Joseph comes up with this plan. He, he feels like he's stuck. He has no right answers. And he goes with this idea to, to seek out this divorce, uh, which is not a great answer to this problem, but maybe the best answer in a complicated situation. But it says this. In verse 20, it says, But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph. Son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. See, there's something that's happening here for Joseph. There's a, there's a statement here that we see. It's actually repeated throughout the Christmas story, this statement of do not be afraid. Do not be afraid, Joseph. This is also, I think, the message to us, because here's the reality that is before Mary and Joseph if they go forward with this engagement. See, if they go forward with this engagement, I think 
Joseph has a reason to be afraid. In this time period, there would have been a deep stigma, a deep ridicule, and a deep public scorn to enter into a marriage with a, with a, with a, with a potentially a baby out of wedlock. They would have been seen by their village, by their town, by their community as completely like stigmatized and completely just out of good standing in the community. To say yes to this invitation of continuing forward, even though Joseph and Mary now know the full truth of how this baby came to be, how Jesus was born, even though they know that, that nothing wrong has happened, they would still be facing deep public ridicule. So, so Joseph has a reason to be afraid, and, and the message that God wants to give Joseph and Mary in this situation, when it feels like there's no right answers, when it feels like everything is gray and confusing and complicated, and there doesn't seem to be a correct step forward, his invitation is do not be afraid. And I want all of us here today to hear that spoken to us in whatever you are facing whether it be debt, whether, whether it be a medical situation, whether it be a, a complicated, broken family dynamic, God's word to you, even when it feels like there's no foothold, there's no step forward, God's word to you is do not be afraid. And in the same way that the angel of the Lord said, Joseph, the Lord calls us by name. He knows our name. He knows the situations we're in. He knows the brokenness, the complexity, the, the hardships that we are facing. And he says, do not be afraid. Jacob, don't be afraid. Rahul, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Maggie, you too, don't be afraid. He, 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 he calls us by our name because he knows us and he, he cares for us. Uh, it goes on to say, in verse 21 and 22, you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save the people from his sins. And then it says this thing that is, it's hard for me to stomach, honestly. He says this thing where it says, all this took place to fulfill what was written in the scriptures. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. I'm not a fan of that. If I'm, gonna, if I'm being honest, I'm not a fan of that. You're saying that all of that complexity, all of that brokenness, all of the, the, the grayness, the hardship, the suffering that we're going through, all of that took place to fulfill your plan, God? That's a hard pill to swallow. But I think there is something for us to glean from that, something for us to take away. See, I firmly believe, and I think this is the Lord's perspective as well, is that all evil, all suffering, all injustice, all oppression, all violations of all kind, those are evil and wrong and not, not okay. They are, they are not the will of God. Yet there's something about the unique aspect of who the God of the Bible is, because the God of the Bible, Jesus, and God the Father, they are able to take the worst of any situation and turn it to good. They're able to take any evil in this world and to make it into good. See, Joseph's namesake is from the book of Genesis. He was known as this dreamer. He's a, he's a character in the Bible. And the thing that he went through was his brothers, he had 11 brothers, his 11 brothers uh, from the Old Testament, what they did to him was they essentially tied him up, 
They threw him down a well, they were about to leave him for dead, but instead they sold him into slavery. A completely evil act, completely wrong, shouldn't have happened. And yet, years later, when Joseph is reconciled with his brothers, Joseph is in a place to bless his brothers and give them, to provide for them. And this is what Joseph from the Old Testament says to his brothers. He says, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. See, God in the Bible, all this took place to fulfill God's plan. See, God is uniquely able to take all of the brokenness in our lives, all of the evil things we face, all of the, the wrong we do and the wrong that's been done to us, and I think God is able somehow to turn it into good. Maybe not even in our lifetimes, maybe not in the perspective of our earthly lives, but I think God is able and willing to turn evil into good. I have, a, I, have a, I have a friend, Calvin and Carolina, they have been on this hard, uh, they've been on this zero waste journey. Uh, and they're like eliminating plastic from their lives and they're just doing a lot to like really think about how, what their environmental impact is. And I've had a conversation with them, I've had a conversation with other people too about this. And one of the things that has been talked about has been this idea that like we pursue this thing because God is zero waste. There's not a thing that God is not willing to use to fulfill good in the lives of those he loves. God is willing to use all brokenness, all hardship, all difficulties to reveal himself to us and to reveal good in this world. And I think this is what's happening for Mary and Joseph. See, uh, God did not choose the perfect, picture-perfect couple to, to bring about his will, but he, he, brought, he brought a broken relationship, a relationship that was at its wit's end. And I, I can relate to this. I've been married uh, to my wife, Emily, for two years. And there are just moments where it feels like, oh, can we go on? Like, when we're stuck in a really hard fight. When we're stuck in a disagreement that's just like, we can't see eye to eye. And there's a question of like, can this work out for good? But I think the, the, the journey of faith, especially in this Advent season, the journey of faith is holding on to God in the darkness is to holding on and trusting that he will lead us and he can bring about good from anything. And I think that's the testimony of our lives. That's the, what the Christian life is meant to be. And it goes on to say, so, so Joseph gets this invitation, this costly invitation to potentially be isolated from his community, to be the scorn of his whole public life, his public life to essentially be devastated. Same thing with Mary. There's this, there's this reputation, their reputation is on the line. And this is what Joseph does. In verse 24, it says, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded, and he took Mary home as his wife. For Joseph and Mary, trusting God's plan was deeply costly. Trusting and acting on what God had given them and led them to, it was a deeply costly and scary thing. They had reason to be afraid. And I think the same thing is often going to be true for us. Trusting God, relying on him, waiting on him to move forward is going to be costly for us. And uh, I'm not going to lie. I am, uh, I'm not making a good case for following God right now. Uh, this is not the best. This is not, I'm not putting my best foot forward when I'm inviting people to trust God with their whole lives. Because in many ways, Joseph's lives doesn't get better. 
if you read on, and we'll read on in the next few weeks about what happens to Joseph, but uh, Joseph's life is upended by a complicated and broken political machinations of tyrants and leaders. Uh, Joseph's life is in danger. It's like his, his life gets really complicated. But I think there's something that Joseph heard in this message. There's something that Joseph understood when he, when he received this call from God and that when we will receive this call from God is that God is with us. See, we are not promised lives that will be free from suffering or free from hardship, free from struggle. But we are promised that God will call us by name and that God will be with us. See, the, the, the plan of God to bring Jesus into this world, he said that they will know him by their name, Emmanuel. I think, I think there's something happening here for Joseph that's very powerful and important and personal. Something I've been reflecting on in this Christmas season, in this time of Christmas, is that uh, a lot of our like songs and worship often is very reverential. There's, we revere God a lot. So like all of, uh, all of the songs in Christmas, I feel like they have the same energy of like, we will bow down and worship this baby. Like we're going to take this baby, we're going to put him on a pedestal, and we're going to worship him. Oh, come let us adore him. Uh, I think that's an important part of faith. I think revering God, seeing the beauty of God, seeing the holiness of God is really important. Like it's, it's God with us, right? God in the flesh. It is God. Jesus is God made revealed. But I think that's, that's actually the background of the Christmas story. The, the forefront, the theme, the main thing that's happening here in this Christmas story is that God is moving into the neighborhood. Is that God is making himself near to us. That he is God, but now he's God with us. That is what Jesus was doing. That is what God the Father was doing through this marriage, through this complicated situation, was bringing about God with us. See, I think when we have reverence alone, we always end up distancing ourselves from God. Because when we revere God, when we respect something, it's like never meet your idols, right? Because like they'll never live up to your expectations. But when we only revere God, we keep him afar. I think this plays out in the Gospel of Luke. There's this story where Peter, one of the disciples, meets Jesus and he's interacting with Jesus and Jesus reveals his power. Luke, uh, uh, Peter has completely failed to like make a catch. He's failed his job. He doesn't have anything to bring back home. And he's basically like, he's worked all day and nothing has happened of it. And Jesus shows up and basically in a blink of an eye, Peter is able to have this amazing catch of fish. So much fish that his boat starts to sink. They have to start bringing everything in. It's this, it's this amazing image of Jesus's power and authority and ability to do amazing things in the world. So Peter has all this reverence for God, for Jesus. He has all of this, like, you're, you are God, you are all-powerful, you are almighty, you are you're God. And Peter has this interesting response in, in response to that reverence. He says this thing where he says, get away from me, Jesus. Get away from me. Because there's this sense that, that he's face-to-face -face with God. But when all Peter has is reverence, he can't stand to be close to God. It's, he's afraid. He's unsure. He has no relationship. God feels foreign and unrelatable and unconnectable. 
And it leaves Peter, and I think it leaves us with, not a God that we know personally, but a God that we study through a telescope. A God that we understand as a subject and not as a person. But the story of Christmas and the story of this Advent season is that God is not a subject to be studied, but a person to be known. And more so than to be known, a person to be with. God is a person to be with. The Gospel of Matthew is announcing the good news, the beautiful story, the power of the Gospel, that God has come and has made himself near. See, I think my prayer for us as a church, my prayer for each and every one of us as individuals, is that this Advent season would not just be a time of worship and reverence and adoring God, but it would be a time of nearness to Jesus. What the Advent season is about is about Jesus drawing near to people, coming and making himself close to us. And I hope that we, in response, that we would experience the nearness of God, that we would experience his personal presence in our life in the same way that is promised in this passage. God is with us. He's Emmanuel. That's the, the story of how God will be known, that he is near us in our brokenness, that the, the uniqueness of Jesus is that he doesn't come to fix our pain or to solve all of our problems or to end all suffering right now. But uniquely, Jesus embraced suffering. He sat in our suffering. For those of us that have experienced brokenness in our family, Jesus experienced brokenness in our family. For those of us who've experienced racism and pain and oppression, Jesus has experienced those same things. He is God with us. We're going to be entering into a time of prayer and reflection, so I'm going to invite our worship team back up. But like I said, I, my hope for us this the rest of this Advent season is that we would begin to embrace the nearness of God, that we would embrace the one who is embracing us, Jesus, the God that is with us and near us. What I think is really powerful about the gospel and about the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus is that it says this in verse 22, right? It says this, that his name will be Jesus, his name will be Jesus, and he will save the people from their sins. And that's the story of the gospel, is that what Jesus has come here to do is to heal our brokenness, to bandage our wounds, to, to bring us from death to life, and to enter us into the good purposes of God. That is not going to be free of complexity, of hardness, of, of struggle. But I think what will get us through that, what will get us through the moments where we're groping around, trying to figure out where to go next, I think what will get us through that won't be reverence and won't be necessarily very high reverential worship, but I think it'll be intimacy and nearness with God. Knowing the God that calls us by name, the same way that Joseph was called by name, in the same way that God the Father knew Jesus' name and gave him a name and called him to a purpose. The great exchange of the gospel is this. See, 
Jesus didn't just come to take away something from us, to free us from something. The great exchange of the gospel is that Jesus has taken away our sin, taken away our shame, taken away our brokenness, but he's actually given us a new relationship with God and with himself. He has given us a new identity found in God so that as we are in the midst of whatever situation we face, we would know the God that is near us and that knows us. In this passage, we see this God that knows Joseph by name, that knows Jesus by name. He knows Joseph's purposes and he knows Jesus's purposes. And the great exchange of the gospel is that we have now received that as well from Jesus and through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. The same God that knew these people so deeply and intimately knows us today deeply and intimately if we would say yes to his invitation. See, what's powerful about this passage is that it reveals to us this thing about God, that God is a God that knows deeply, that is with us deeply and wants us to know that he knows our names that he knows us personally, not just from afar, not just as created things that are far and inaccessible, but he knows us as a person knows a person. He knows our inner longings, our inner desires, our inner struggles. He knows us by our name and he calls to us by our name. We are gonna enter into a time of, uh, of listening prayer. And this might be something new for you. This might be a new practice. But something I believe about God, something I see in scripture is a God that is willing to speak, a God that is willing to call people by name, to, to give them comfort and counsel and advice and love. That the relationship with God is not just something to be studied, but experienced in our whole beings, in our emotions and in our physical bodies, that God is willing and able to speak. So in listening prayer, what we're gonna do is we're just gonna kind of take a moment to rest and be silent and present to God because I think God is present to us. That's what the Christmas, that's what the Advent season is about. It's about God with us. And I think what my, my true hope is today is that as we spend time listening for the Holy Spirit to speak, listening for God the Father to give us something, my hope is that we would hear God call us by our names. The same God that knew the name of Jesus, the same God that called Joseph by name, that we would hear God calling us by our name. In, a, in Indian culture, it's funny, there's kind of two names that people often have. You have your legal name that you put on your documents, and then you have your house name. And your house name is like your safe name. It's the name that people call you that really know you that have known you since a child. My, my dad's legal name is Thomas, but his house name is Bidgen. His brothers, his sisters, his parents, they call him that. And my, my, my mom calls him that as well. It's, it's the name of love. It's that name of affection and kindness. And I think there's something really beautiful about that is that God calls us by our names and he calls it like a house name. He calls it like a family member calls out your name calls for you in love and affection and desire for a relationship. So as we spend time listening today, I'm praying that the Holy Spirit would speak to us and we would hear the God that knows our name and that calls us by our name in the same way that we saw in this passage. So I'm going to spend some time to pray for us. I'm going to invite you to bow your heads in prayer. And uh, 
whatever posture you need to take to receive, whether it be hands facing up, whether it be bow, head bowed down, uh, take it, because my hope is that God would speak and we would be willing and receptive to hear. So Holy Spirit, you're the God that orchestrated this plan of salvation in the lives of Mary, Joseph, and Jesus. And you are that same God today that is working out your plan of restoration and salvation in our lives today. But to grasp that, Jesus, I think we need a word from you. I think we need to hear the tender voice of God calling us with love, calling us with security and safety. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak to each and every single person here with that, with that name. The Holy Spirit, would you speak and call us by our names? Jesus, I pray that as we enter into worship, that the gospel would not just be a message to be heard, but a reality to be experienced. That the tenderness of your embrace, the, the loving call of your words would be heard to us in this time of worship and reflection. So Jesus, would you, would you speak to us today? Because what we need in this season of Advent is your nearness, your, your real, actual presence in our lives, your real, actual voice speaking to us and leading us forward. So Lord, would you continue to speak? Would you bind whatever you've already spoken? And would you give us the gift of faith to see you when even the path is dark and to hear you when things feel too loud? So Lord, allow us to worship you today with nearness and with intimacy. In your name we pray, amen.